0: Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hey, Squirrel. So I'm looking forward to uh, uh, continuing our, our two-episode series, which might turn out to be longer.
1: Yep, but so far so far we've got two. Uh, uh, we'll make it a double, uh, which is um, perfect because we're now talking about double-loop learning. Uh, following on last time, we talked about single-loop learning. And if you missed that, uh, then uh, we can find it in the archive. And uh, we'll also add a link in the show notes towards uh, single-loop versus double-loop learning.
0: Absolutely. And I'll, I'll give an example that, that can get us started there.
1: Yep. Last time you gave us an example also, because so maybe you can recapitulate the old example and then expand it.
0: That was my plan. So what I often talk about when I'm describing both single loop and double loop learning is an example of wholeheartedly stealing from Chris Argyris, who originated the idea. And that is the notion that you, you have a, a thermostat. And the thermostat is controlling your temperature in your room, And Jeffrey, I'd like you to to be a thermostat, if you wouldn't mind. And I'm going to feed you temperatures. And your goal is to get the the room to 20 degrees. We're doing Celsius here. So you ready ready to be a thermostat? Yep, I'm ready. Excellent. It's 18 degrees. What do you do? Heat. Excellent. 19. Heat. 20. Nothing. Nothing. 21. Cool. 20. Nothing. 19. Heat. Are you bored yet?
1: Um, yeah. This is not not all that exciting.
0: Exactly. And imagine if we just repeated that all day. The, the point <laughs> of uh, single and double loop learning is to understand what a thermostat is, is, is doing and how to, to think about the type of learning that's happening. When you get bored, you're doing single loop learning. You're just changing the uh, activities you're doing in response to the environment. And it's very natural for a human being to get bored. Of course, thermostats don't, and they work just fine. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, especially if you're able to understand the environment well, and you don't have outside influences that are affecting what's happening. If you were to repeat that loop over and over again, Jeffrey, you'd get incredibly bored. And I'm guessing that you might go out and investigate what was happening in the environment, and you might find somebody who'd left a window open. And that was why the temperature was varying so much. Or you might find a fan that was blowing directly on the thermostat or something like that. You might change that. That action of going into the environment and saying, what's going on here? What's causing this variation is the double loop part. The single loop is just what's happening? Adjust. What happened? What's happening? Adjust. It goes around one loop uh, all the time. Double loop is saying, well, I've been around the single loop a while. Why don't I go out to a bigger loop? and go out to the rest of the environment and, and investigate what what's happening there? What other things could I change? How could the situation be different? And in the thermostat example, it's close the window.
1: Yep. And the, the idea here is you, It's an, essentially it's more fundamental. There's more There's more uh, variables at play. There's more things you're willing to consider uh, rather than just heating and cooling. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, this comes up when, of course, you're thinking about how you might drive your company. So if you're, if you're a startup, You might be thinking about uh, how to improve your sales or improve your product market fit, something like that. And there are lots of writing about um, how to to handle that situation. Jeffrey, you were telling me about a, a few examples that came to your mind.
1: Yeah, I I think so. a couple of things that came to my mind from uh, some some different books that people may have heard of, and certainly ones that we may have talked about. We I think we've talked before about crossing the chasm, um, but also there's another book that is widely known called The Innovator's Dilemma. And what's striking to me about both of these uh, books is they describe how people can get stuck um, because they have followed a strategy. And it has worked, and they've become the, you know, the, the, it's been completely successful for the niche that they're in or for the, the market they're in. And, uh, but then they're unable to change. So, if we use our example of single loop learning as being hill climbing, they have a strategy, the strategy works, they get really good at the strategy, it's successful, but then circumstances change, and they suddenly need to have abandoned what had worked. And it's that ability to to sense your environment and to question things that were formerly not questionable. And uh, in the example of Innovator's Dilemma, the, uh, one of the, the challenges is that once you've become the market leader, you, you tend to find that your most demanding clients at the high end are the most profitable ones. The ones that really are pushing the limits of what you do, or they're, you're, they're your, your best market segment. They're the high value clients that are, are worth much more per client than any others. In fact, most of your revenue might be tied to these, uh, these people. And so you become more and more uh, specialized fitting uh, and pushing your performance along the dimension that they care about. And
0: that's the hill climbing that you're doing. The metric you're using is, are these clients satisfied? But the terrible danger that the open window that's out there that's going to come mess up your beautiful paradise that's of, of continued hill climbing is that the market is changing. The world is changing. There's some other group of clients who are coming along.
1: That's right, And that's the dilemma that um, and the, one of the examples from the book is they talk about steam shovels that are cable operated uh, being replaced by the shift to hydraulics. And in a sense, it was it was the dilemma was that everyone could see that the future was hydraulics. There were inherent advantages to hydraulics that uh, meant they would be better in the long run. But in the short run, they weren't as good. As the cable operated building equipment and the most demanding clients, they wanted better cable operated things. And uh, so they they weren't, uh, the, the leading companies weren't able to take on the challenge of embracing hydraulics and bringing these hydraulic based products to market that were in the eyes of their existing client base worse than what they already offered they would have been going
0: down the hill. They would have had to go to to a worse outcome.
1: That That's right. And, and so the example from there is that if you have uh, these road grading machines that were cable operated that you'd use if you're laying out a uh, housing development, that were the ones that were grading the street, uh, those were the one machines that they're selling, these big expensive machines that were very profitable. And uh, the hydraulic uh, machines came in, couldn't do that work. But what they could do And this was the their selling point is they could dig the ditch from the road from the the main sewer out to the house and they weren't displacing the cable machines they were replacing people with with shovels so there was a a low-end market that could be reached Mm -hmm. and uh, that was what gave the new entrance in the market a place to go that the existing uh, manufacturers uh, eschewed because it wasn't profitable. It wasn't, as, it wasn't what their most expensive uh, uh, and most profitable clients demanded. So if we go back to the kind of optimization methods,
0: if you're, if you're trying to climb a hill and you want to get to a better and better view, you just keep going, which way is the steepest? How can I go up the most? Whereas this was saying, I actually need to go down into a valley and I need to go find myself a different hill. And the first thing I have to do is go down. I have to be, become worse. And it turns out there was a nice place for them to go where they could continue making some profit while they were worse. But then the technology improved. So, in fact, they were better for the original purpose and displaced the original uh, folks.
1: That's right. And there's several examples in this book, and there's no need to recapitulate them all. But they all um, suffer from this, this. They all have the same characteristic of take what you're doing before and do something different. And Crossing the Chasm is a bit similar because he talks about the the need to kind of flip-flop your strategy as you as you are in a cross the a niche and then you go mainstream and then you uh, expand out again in the main market, you're, you're reversing, in a sense, your strategy every time there's a market change. And that's very hard to do.
0: And things that used to work don't work anymore. Yeah, that's right. So the single loop learning is not enough.
1: That's right, and now, it's, now one thing that happens that this double loop learning might be required before you ever get to success. So let's not let's not let's not assume that this is only something that happens once you're the market leader. This can happen very early. In fact, I think that's the idea of lean startup, and that it came up that came up with this idea of called a pivot, uh, and that really is a shift of strategy. And that kind of idea of a pivot is the, is I think is a is a double loop uh, type approach, which says you know maybe this game we're trying to build. Isn't going to work, maybe instead we should make a shift to making a chat client instead, and now we have Slack.
0: That's exactly how Slack got started. Flickr is very similar, actually, the photo sharing site. So there are many examples of this type of radical pivot. It can also be a smaller one, but the shared characteristic is you aren't going to get there simply by doing thermostat style activities. If you're just trying to make a single metric or a family of metrics better, you won't get to this other thinking. You have to go outside the system. You have to go outside what you're currently doing and say, I, I, I don't need a thermostat anymore. I, I need a, a different mechanism. I need the different way of addressing some problem. I need to go close the window.
1: And last time, uh, if we wanted to kind of say, how do we get to this kind of um, thinking? I think that's the idea of our um, podcast today is to help people understand when they could use double loop learning, how they might get it. Uh, in the single loop case, we talked about the value of a coach in single loop learning, in uh, helping you hill climb better. What What is a, a coach? How can a coach help out in double loop? So a more experienced coach or somebody who's ready to help you with
0: a uh, uh... Uh, a more complex problem where there's unknown unknowns, where there's things you're not sure about, and the environment is complex, is going to be bringing you questions. Last time we said the the coach in the single loop case would would bring you answers, would say, well, here are ways to write unit tests, here are ways to hold retrospectives. Um, your stand up should be five minutes, not thirty. The more experienced coach, the, the person who's going to bring you the, uh, a double loop experience and and help you to to find a new hill to climb will say things like, uh, why are you doing that? And uh, are there other ways of approaching that? Uh, what are the assumptions that underlie what you're doing? Uh, could you try something different? Here are some options for, for quite different things. Um, for example, I've got a client who uh, I'm looking at right now who um, has a very large QA staff, and um, I'm suggesting that they might consider a completely different approach, uh, which involves developers being responsible for testing. Now, that might or might not actually be helpful for them. They may say, that's that's not a hill we want to climb. We, we don't want to reduce our QA staff and increase our developer responsibility for testing. But it's not one they would get to by saying, how can I get better quality? Because the most natural thing for them to do is to hire another QA. So it brings them to a new opportunity, that, which they can take or leave. But um, that, that's where a, a coach can help you do double loop learning by showing you different hills to climb.
1: I like your example there because uh, it, it, one of the challenges of double uh, loop learning is that it, is you're about sort of questioning the invisible. You're questioning values that you take for granted. And in an environment where uh, quality is seen as a department of uh, quality assurance responsibility, as, as long as that's the underlying assumption, you are not going to get to a case where it's like, well, clearly the solution is for developers to care about quality. It's, it's sort of like, by definition, the responsibility of this other department.
0: Indeed. And if you
1: keep just doing single loop learning, you'll be like you were, Jeffrey, as the
0: thermostat, trying to make the, the figures go up and down. And if you, you don't understand why you're heating and cooling, you're going to be doing a lot of different things to train your staff, to add more, to subtract people, to hire better people. You won't ever think, oh, I could do a completely different thing, which, again, may or may not work for you, but it's a way of thinking that you won't uh, have the opportunity to consider. If you don't do some double loop thinking
1: this is one of the uh, the points about the value of experience uh, when we were talking about the series is um what happens when you get sort of the difference between a newly minted agile coach who's learned all the practices and has learned the book by heart um, you know they're going to say well here's the answers from the book the, the value of experience is you've seen more things and therefore you you can think more broadly and and find more things to question on this question of quality uh, you i think have uh, talked about something that you have experience, which is the, uh, maybe we don't need quality. Maybe you can, you can share a little bit of that experience and where that question comes from.
0: Uh, well, it just comes from considering um, uh, uh, options that the client has, in this case, for, for me, they're clients of my consulting services, that, where the client hasn't considered a a new option and I look at that's why I try to ask what their assumptions are and they'll say things like well of course we need to improve quality and to do that we need to add QA people we need you to do squirrels is is give us a better way to to test QA people and get get better folks in because ours aren't good enough and that leads me once I understand that assumption then I can question it and look at my experience and say well wait a minute there are other options again might not be right for them but it gives them a, a new perspective
1: and and there was a time where you probably would have had the same perspective.
0: Absolutely. I remember doing lots of hill climbing with very, what I now think of as blinkered points of view, where I thought, well, it's, it has to be this way. And I learned a lot about new ways of thinking and trying things. And that's why I've worked with so many startups and tried so many different things. That's I think, helps me to be a more effective consultant.
1: I think this is one of the main... Uh, aspects that that uh, experience provides. My experience is similar, which is I've had very uh, uh, in- invisible blinkers on me that I I couldn't I didn't realize my view was constricted. But after having them removed, <laughs> again and again, uh, learning about so many assumptions that I had built in that I could never question, and realizing that I had been limiting my own options, it's made me more hungry to look around and, and find more limits that I'm imposing myself. And that's one of the things when I, when I talk to people about uh, their situation, they often tell me that uh, it, it's striking. I come up with uh, op, uh, um, different alternatives that they would never considered. I expand their horizons, and I think that's one of the, the, the big value that experience brings is, is uh, more ability to question uh, um, and uh, to, to, to realize the kind of limits that we put on ourselves.
0: But I did want to encourage people if they're they're sitting there saying, well, I haven't got all that experience, so um, I can't and I can't uh, afford a, a, a super experienced coach, so it's hopeless for me. Please don't think that um, I'll give you one example, which I'm uh, building on from the, the, the last podcast where. You wouldn't have required any particular amount of experience to to make this uh, intervention that I did with this client, which is terrible for me to say because I'm describing how how it's relatively easy to do what I do and um, pay me for it. So uh, sorry, sometimes it is actually fairly easy, but you you do have to have a double loop mindset. I think that was what was helpful. So in this case, I described last time that I had a client where the the main problem that they presented with was uh, the CTO doesn't have any time. um, He has 30 direct reports. uh, We're inefficient at meeting all these client demands. Look at this. They had literally a wall probably 30, 40 feet long on which they had described each of the 30 different people and their teams and what they were working on, which client they were working for is color-coded. It was an amazing system that they had for managing this complex set of demands from clients. And the assumption they had, and this is where the questioning the assumptions came in, very, very useful. The assumption they had was they just needed to make this board more efficient and needed to make that team work more efficiently at churning through a large number of client demands. And so I questioned that assumption. I said, why do you have this many client demands? It's very strange that if you've built a product that should work for everybody, there's massive amounts of customization for everyone. And they said, yeah, we never thought of that. It seems to all come from those people over in the sales department. So I went wandering over to those folks and I said, why do you have so much customization? And they said, well, the product doesn't fit what the customers need. and In fact, we're not even sure what the product does. And I said, oh, so if you could figure out what the product does, would that help you? And they said, yeah, it'd be great if somebody explained that to us. So we sat down and made a little product picker, which helped them decide which, uh, which things they might want to choose. And there was some, sort of, you can have one from column A, one from column B, kind of like the classic Chinese menu. And uh, they said, oh, actually, you know, we can meet most client demands with this. We can give them a column B and a column C and then a number one and a number two. And actually that would work. And it turned out that they um, uh, one of the things I was most proud of when I finished the engagement was they took down the wall. They just stopped having the the, the need to, to track this huge number of uh, customizations that the, the clients thought they needed. It turned out they didn't need much customization at all. And where they did, they could charge a lot of money for it and send it to somebody else to do so it turned out very profitable for them. And uh, it all came from questioning an assumption that was behind this behemoth machine of, uh, uh, of meeting client demands. Turns out there weren't actually any client demands.
1: And I, I really like that story. And I, I agree with you. It, it's something that you're experienced with because uh, you came in as the coach and could help them through this process. But I agree, it's, it's not something that you need necessarily someone outside to bring. What, what you need is to uh, have a certain sense of introspection and to to look at is what is it that we do, and then for all those things that you do, say, well, why why do we do this? Is this is this a choice that we made because we think it's right? Have we considered alternatives and put these things uh, a bit under the microscope? Why why don't more people do this? Um,
0: I, I suspect they probably don't know about the different types of reflection, so they're they're probably either not reflecting. Or they re- reflect really only in a single loop way. There aren't a, a, a lot of examples that I can think of where um, it's kind of well known that a, a double loop approach might be helpful. You know, we wish Chris Argiris were better known because they, they, this would save a lot of people a lot of heartache. They wouldn't have, my client wouldn't have had to make that giant wall. They could have questioned the assumption much earlier.
1: And, and what I liked is you're, in a sense, what you did was a bit like that bored human uh, who said, let's, you know, let's understand our environment here. Let's, let's go look around and discover, oh, look, there's an open window <laughs> and there, there's something going on that, uh, uh, that no one would have anticipated, which is this, the salespeople don't actually understand the product and the options. And it, you, you got that from going to understand. And that's something that anyone can, can, can do. They can start by that sort of let's, let's look around and and make sure that we're solving the right problems bring this, I think, to agile and troubleshooting, which of course is the, is the point of this. What, when, when, when would people know that they should uh, be looking at double loop uh, in, in, in agile and troubleshooting?
0: So it, it seems to me that you could be doing it in lots of different cases, but the, the main time that, that I look for a double loop solution is when I can see very clearly that further hill climbing is not going to help. So one thing that we've talked about before is theory X and theory Y. We'll put a reminder in the show notes for those who who haven't heard us talk about that before. The idea that theory X managers believe that people just need to work harder and uh, we need to push them harder. And and theory Y managers think that uh, uh, maybe some self-organization would be a good idea and people are probably motivated to do better. You just need to clear the obstacles. The theory Y is a, a pretty fundamental assumption that underlies agile development. If you haven't got a theory Y mindset, you're, you're going to be uh, challenged in adopting a lot of the principles. You probably could get something, but but you're, you're not going to get very far. And the crucial thing is, if you've got a theory X organization, it's not going to turn into theory Y, where suddenly people change their mindset about what motivates others by hill climbing. It won't be because the hill climbing will all be about how can we go faster? How can we motivate people? How can we push people harder? How can we um, turn up the heat to, to, to get more out of them? And it won't be ever, how could we improve their motivation? So uh, uh, hill climbing won't help you with that. Hill climbing won't help you with developing something totally new, like moving from steam shovels to uh, 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 hydraulics. You will just never make that shift. And it's when you can see that there's that much of a gap that uh, double loop would be helpful.
1: And one other uh, element, and I think you mentioned in the uh, your uh, client example, that the the very first thing that you had to do to help and this is a common thing is you have to help people get more time that there 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 might be something where the right solution will end up being uh double loop but in at the moment things are on on fire and uh, so maybe you need to start by well first let's put out the fire Mm
0: -hmm. let's just get better at what we're doing let's not and let's get better outcomes of the same kind because that often will build trust, it will um, put out fires or give people more time, it will make life better. So that, that's often a good starting place. And sometimes it's plenty. Sometimes you don't need more than that and you can just get a, a long, long way by improving uh, with single loop learning. It's when, that, when you kind of run out of steam on that approach where you need to get better outcomes of a different quality that's when double loop learning is something you might want to turn to.
1: That's right. So once the, once the fires are out, we can look around and, and have enough breathing space, enough slack uh, to, to use a, uh, a, the title of a, of a great book that uh, people should be familiar with. Once you have enough slack to look around and to say, mm-hmm. now what type of improvements do you make from here? Uh, then you can unlock the ability to do double loop learning. That's slack the uh, uh,
0: the like slack in a rope, not the uh, chat client. we need to we need to say that now.
1: Exactly. So this is a slack time and, and uh, a great book that talks about how necessary it is for people to have sufficient space to make significant improvements. Because you need
0: the time to to reflect and check the environment. if the If you're just busy changing the heat and putting on the heat and the air conditioning, heat and air conditioning, you'll never get up and go look at the uh, at the window. You need enough time to be able to do that
1: but i will say if you are a uh someone who is not willing uh, to question the values if you are um you've got this space and you're looking around and you're saying "Yep, yeah, i still i still want to be better i want to troubleshoot my agile organization i want all these benefits but uh, you know i really really like that theory x stuff uh, and uh you know i like i like everything about the edge manifesto except for its focus on people and uh, <laughs> people communicating and collaborating what i really want them to do is be really agile but do what they're told um I think that we want to encourage you to try listening to a different podcast. It sounds like what you might like is troubleshooting software development, not troubleshooting agile.
0: That sounds like a good plan. Um, we'll we'll let you know if somebody starts that one, because that would be pretty focused on a single loop approach to improving your organization, which is not a bad thing, but which is unlikely to get you massive shifts. It's, it's unlikely to get you the, the benefits that you should expect and people talk about from an agile organization.
1: That's right. And um, I think that's the end of our two-part series. Uh, it's up to now our listeners to try to uh, uh, help convince us to uh, extend it in the, the way we've been known to do. Um, how, how could they do that, Squirrel?
0: Well, they can ask us questions. They can offer to uh, uh, give us a different point of view, tell us stories about where they're having trouble applying some learning or where they, they think they have a different approach. All of those would be very welcome. And they can have a look at troubleshootingagile.com and send us a, send us a note there.
1: All right. Well, I can't wait to see what people send us. Sounds good.
0: Thanks, Jeffrey. We'll see you next time.
1: Thanks, world.